I'm Jacqueline Duget, and I'm the host of What is Black podcast, the podcast where we discuss topics important to raising healthy and thriving Black children and adolescents. Welcome to this episode of What is Black podcast. Um, Today, I'm so excited to be joined by St. Clair Dietrich Jules. Um, St. Clair is a filmmaker, photographer, and the creator of Dear Chloe, a photojournalism book featuring photos and stories of Black women with natural hair. And on today's episode, we're going to get into more of a conversation with St. Clair about her book. So welcome, St. Clair. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well. So I gave a brief brief synopsis of the book, but I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about um, about the book. Yeah, definitely. So um, my book is, um, as you said, a photojournalism book, and it features the photographs and stories of 101 Black women with natural hair, um, really diverse range of women from really girls from age um, like four to 65, um, from all over the country. And um, the inspiration for my book uh, was my little sister who is self-conscious about her Afro. So this is really a project dedicated to her um, and all of the little black girls out there who, you know, have ever felt like their natural hair is not enough. And I think that's a recurring theme. Um, I had an opportunity for a prior episode to interview Lori Tharps. She's a she's a podcaster and a journalism journal journalist as well as an author of a book called Hair Story. And we and in her book, she really sort of um, with her co-author went through the went through the history of black hair and the power that black hair um, really represents, right? And the and the social, political, as well as I would even say emotional impact hair. Um, really plays for Black women. So I was wondering, how did your experiences, I mean, you mentioned your sister sort of being an ins- being one of the inspirations for the book, but I was just wondering how your own personal experiences influenced the development of the book. Yeah, definitely. So I, um, you know, grew up in Washington, D.C., back when, you know, back when we, it was still called Chocolate City, you know, when it was a majority Black city. And so for my, you know, kindergarten, I went to a majority black school. And then when I started first grade, I went to a majority white school. Um, and basically I, I didn't have the words to express myself at the time, but looking back, that was really the time, you know, when I started at this majority white school that I lost pretty much all my sense of confidence just because I looked so different from everybody else. And that's when I started feeling really self-conscious about my hair, about Um, my skin color, about my features. And um, that was a really, yeah, I mean, obviously that stuck with me for a really long time, um, that sort of sense of like, you know, inferiority. And it wasn't until I got to college that I really started seeing blackness as something that is beautiful. And it's crazy that it took me like a couple decades to realize that, um, and, you know, you, you, you hear people telling you, you know, like my mom would always tell me, you know, you know, you should be proud of being black. You should love it and everything. But it wasn't until I really saw these other black women in college embracing themselves fully that I started to do that as well. Um, and so when I was interviewing women for my book, I did draw on a lot of my personal experiences when I was asking them questions. Um, you know, I would ask them, for example, okay, well, I sometimes still feel like I fall into the trap of thinking straight hair is more beautiful. Like, how do you feel about that? Like, is it ever, do you ever go back and forth or do you feel like you fully 
Um, you fully embraced your hair, things like that. So I feel like I, I started by drawing on my own experience for asking questions. And then the more that I interviewed different people, I just sort of had all these different experiences. Um, like I now knew of all these different experiences. And so I was able to draw on that for asking, you know, the next woman who I would interview. Now for the women that you interviewed, did you find any recurrent, recurrent themes, you know, certain things that sort of came up similarities um, amongst the women about their, their hair experience, their hair journeys? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the big chop was, I mean, I guess I, I shouldn't have been that surprised, um, but I never went through a big chop. And so it was just crazy to me how many people, almost all of them had gone through, you know, the big chop, like getting their hair relaxed often at a young age and often, you know, their parents, doing it without their consent and obviously, you know, not judging the parents because like, you know, some of the women in my book pointed out, they, they're, that's what their parents thought was the right thing to do, you know? Um, but so yeah, just the common theme of getting their hair permed, um, at a young age and then having to go through the big chop later. Um, a lot of them really started embracing their hair. Like I did it when they, when they got to college, there were, you know, people talked about even colorism. People talked about, I guess you could say texturism, like different, different levels of privilege within the natural hair community. People talked about, um, you know, their relationship with their, uh, you know, with their mothers and support and, or, you know, the rejection they faced from their family based on the status of their hair. There's a section of the book sort of dedicated to moms and daughters. So I wanted yeah. to like delve into that a little bit more. And I think one thing that was really, I was really curious about is if moms had a different perspective now, you know, based on their hair journey and now how they interact with their girls, their daughters and their, and their hair journey. Yeah, definitely. Um, like some of the women have told me, you know, that their moms have even gone natural now, you know? So they went from being one extreme of forcing their daughters to perm their hair. And now they're sort of at the other end coming full circle. Their daughters have helped them go natural as well. Um, like there's one woman in my book who um, she's Afro Dominican and she decided at one point when she was, you know, still in school, she wanted to, you know, maybe try going natural and her mom was completely against it. Um, her mom told her that it wouldn't be beautiful, that it wouldn't be manageable. And she literally forced the relaxing cream onto her daughter's scalp. And again, that's what, you know, that's what her mother thought was the right, was the right thing to do. You know, she thought she was helping her daughter by doing that. And, you know, now she is, you know, the daughter is, so that this woman in my book is, is, is completely natural. You know, she's an adult now and her, now she's actually working with her mom and helping her mom to transition to natural hair. And now her mom will wear also, you know, Afrocentric hairstyles like braids and stuff like that. So, so I think that's sort of an inspirational, an inspirational story. I definitely think that black hair has a power to it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also feel like when you can actually see yourself reflected, um, in a in a book, right? Because you have a diversity diversity of women represented in your books. So I guess so. My, so you may I may have already answered my question, but again, I'm always curious about the medium that an author or creator you uses. And I was just wondering why 
a photojournalism book versus, since you're also a filmmaker, want to create a documentary. So I was just curious why, you know, why that medium, a book versus, let's say, film? That's a really good question and something I've wondered also. And when I when I started working on this project, I sort of had the idea of doing a documentary slash slash like a smaller photo book, but the main component would be a documentary because yeah, like, like you said, you know, I am a primarily a, a filmmaker. And so I did record most of the women who I interviewed, you know, I, I did film them. Um, so I have snippets of that and I'll be putting out videos of that. But, um, I think it turned more into just a, a photography project because I really want my sister, you know, and all black women to have something that they can hold and look at and feel represented. And I sort of, I don't know, I feel like with books, there's sort of like this raw feeling to it. Like you don't need technology. You don't need a screen. You know, you don't need to be hooked up to anything. You don't need to be looped in. It's just something physical that you can pick up, that you can touch. You can look at it. And then I was also inspired by Humans of New York. I don't know if you follow the page on Facebook, um, but he, it's this, it's this, uh, one man and he posts pictures of, you know, New Yorkers and also people from around the world. Um, and then he posts a snippet of his interview with them. And so it's really interesting because you see the picture of the person and then you read a little bit about them and it's, and it's always fascinating because it just goes to show that you never know what people are going through. You never know what people's lives are like. And so I sort of like that idea, um, for my book also in terms of, you know, you can see someone, a black woman with natural hair, but you don't know what her hair story is. You know, you don't know why she went natural because black women go natural for so many different reasons. You don't know how challenging it was for her. Like maybe some of the things she faced by going natural, um, how it's made her feel, things like that. And so, yeah, I guess, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, again, it's just, it's just a curiosity and a fascination that I have because it's like when you're, when you're a creator and you have multiple, um, multiple ways to create content, I just always find it fascinating. Um, and again, like you said, you sort of blend the two. I saw the trailer for, for the book, um, and the interviews that you've done. And then, and that, what I love about that visual, I mean, all of this visual, right, whether or not there's an audio component or not to it, mm-hmm. is the fact that the women that you you photographed or you captured on film, they are, I mean, they are excited about talking about their hair, right? Even if the journey may have been a difficult journey, now that they're at the point of accepting their beauty, their hair, right? They there's like this majesty to them. And that's what I love. Right. But again, it's just, it's just interesting how, you know, you took, you use different forms to actually manifest that. Yeah. Thank you. So what five words do you think would best describe your book? I would say sisterhood. I would say unapologetic. I would say love. And within that, okay, I'm cheating because I'm explaining it a little bit, but um, for love, you know, just there's, I think, self-love, but also love for one another um, and a deep love for like our fellow black women. So yes, I would say love. Um, Let's see, I would say blackness and I would say healing. Oh, I think those are, those are great words. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. 
Now, it's interesting, you you know, you mentioned growing up in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, I grew up in Chocolate City. I, you know, I'm a little bit older, but whether, you know, it doesn't really matter, but we have similar, somewhat similar backgrounds, right? So I'm a, I have a Caribbean background. Both of my parents are from Guyana, but I am biracial, and I grew up in Washington, D.C. I grew up in the Fort Totten area of D.C., and I was like so happy to you know, to hear and, and to share, you know, sort of share that, that, that experience. Cause I think for me growing up in Washington, DC, you know, seventies and eighties, what I loved about that experience is that I did see women of all different statures, right. Socioeconomic professional, as well as hair, their hair journey. Um, and so I, I mean, I grew up with some difficulties with, with my own hair because my natural hair, you know, most, you know, I was one of the only few biracial kids growing up in DC or that I saw right growing up during that time. And so I had my own hair journeys, but what was wonderful is I think now I'm like, I, I wish I grew up in at this time where I think there was, there's more opportunity. I think that wish there are more, I wish they, I think there are, there should be more, even more opportunities for us to really have our hair represented and us to learn to love our hair. But that's what I think um, I love about, about your book and your journey. And I was just wondering did growing up in DC influence your work at all? I would say so. I think I think definitely. You mean specifically with this book or just my work in general? I think your work in general, because I think ultimately whatever you do, right, lays a foundation for what you will do. Yeah, agreed. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely growing up in DC um, has impacted me. And so I'm also, um, of Caribbean descent. So like my dad is from this little Island Island in the Caribbean called St. Bart's and growing up, I didn't have like any black family members here except for my dad. Um, and so since I was separated from, you know, pretty much all my black family, it was really, um, important, I think for me to grow up in, a majority black neighborhood and at least for, you know, kindergarten. And then, and then again, in middle and high school, I went to like a majority black or majority POC school. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that definitely, that definitely impacted me in the way that I see the world. And I've seen, you know, firsthand with like gentrification, um, how my neighborhood has changed because when I, when I moved into, you know, I was two when we moved to Columbia Heights. And as I'm sure you know, right, like being from DC, Columbia Heights, it was, um, they, at the time, it was the most money they had ever put into a certain area of DC, like all at one time. And so, you know, right after we moved, they built the metro station and they put in the Target and everything. And like rent prices just completely blew up. And gentrification. I mean, we've lost so many of our community members, you know, who've been priced out of DC now. And, um, so that's like a really big issue. And yeah, so I just feel like I've seen firsthand and I've heard a lot of stories also, um, which is a privilege. Like I've heard a lot of stories from black folks as well. So that's, yeah, I think that's influenced my work. And then also, you know, with my previous work, I do, um, you know, films about immigrants. And so because DC also has a large Latinx population, um, that also made me interested in learning more about the immigrant community, you know, the Latinx community, since I'm not 
um, since like I'm not Latinx, but I wanted to learn more about the community who, who raised me and yeah. So in terms of that influence, um, I listened to a recent podcast interview you did, um, I'm going to get the podcast from, I think, Cafe Con with Pam. Yeah. And I thought that was an excellent interview. And I I heard you reference the fact that not only do you have Black women in the book, but you also have a diversity of Black women. So again, some that, that may have multi-ethnic, multicultural experiences, and they bring that to the table in the book. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about um, some of their journey and your conversation with them. Yeah, definitely. Um, So there are, yeah, immigrants, like first and second generation immigrants in my book from all over the world, mostly though from um, Latin America, again, just because, you know, growing up in DC, there's a lot of Latinx immigrants here. Um, And it's been really interesting hearing those stories and hearing about how, um, how blackness is looked at in Latin America, especially for example, in the Dominican Republic, which is obviously a majority black country. Um, but a lot of Dominicans, you know, from what I've learned, um, a lot of Dominicans don't see themselves as black, even if they're dark skinned and they have kinky hair, you know? And so some of the women in my book talked about, you know, their, some of the Afro Dominicans, they didn't see themselves as black growing up, even though, they look black, you know, and they have like black features and everything, but they didn't identify as black. And so for them, for some of them, um, embracing their blackness came with embracing their natural hair. Um, like there's this one woman who is half African-American and, and half Dominican. And she, and she said that when she went natural, she really had to full on accept her blackness because all of a sudden she had this Afro, right? And so you can't deny like the blackness is there, like her genes are so powerful. Um, and yeah, so I mean, definitely, let's see, there's one woman in my book who's half, half black, half, uh, Japanese. And so, you know, she was talking about how, um, she, you know, often, I guess, you know, gravitates more to the black side just because a lot of like the Japanese community at her high school, for example, wouldn't necessarily see her as, see her as Japanese. Um, right. Cause there's like a certain idea of what is Japanese and it's not, you know, it's not anything mixed with blackness. Um, and let's see. Yeah. I mean, I got perspectives from people from Africa or who have spent time in Africa and they were able to bring in some of that insight and, yeah, so it's been really interesting. But what I think it speaks to is like the book really represents a wide variety of of the Black diaspora. Yeah, and even within even within the United States, like our I think our experiences are so different. You know, like we were saying, based on where we grow up. You know, if you grow up in a majority white area. I had a couple of women who talked about growing up in rural areas of Ohio and Oklahoma and being one of the only, you know, black girls at their schools and how that was really challenging because they didn't, they didn't see people who looked like them at all. And because they were so different and they didn't have any sort of black community around them, they were just bullied and, um, 
made fun of and even got in trouble with their schools for natural hair, you know, for wearing their hair natural. I think for for me, again, I, I love the I love the representation that's in the book. I love the fact that natural hair is being celebrated now. Yeah, it really is a movement. I feel like I've been seeing so much so much news. I just heard that there's this art exhibit in Detroit that's so that's um showcasing natural hair. It's it's crazy. It's it's amazing. And half the states now are considering the Crown Act and mm-hmm. it's just good news everywhere, I feel. And I'm and I think again that speaks to like the politics of hair, right? How 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 powerful it's gotten that now well, I think it's been power powerful in terms of who had the power against us for our hair. And now hopefully with more states passing the Crown Act, that's an opportunity now for us to assume our, you know, we set the balance of power so that our hair isn't used against us. Exactly. Yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit about your little sister as being the inspiration for the book. I know she's, she's fairly young and if you could, you could share like how old she is, but if she's even had any reactions to the idea of you even writing the book. Yeah. So she is, so she's six now, but when she started, um, not liking her hair, she was four. Um, and yeah, so that obviously really upset me and everything, but I think that, you know, I have told her a little bit about the book. So she, actually lives in France with my dad and my stepmom and my other siblings. So I don't get to see her that often. Um, but like through video chat, I'll share updates with her about my book and I've shown her some of the pictures and I've shown her, you know, a couple of the trailers and she was really excited about that and just really excited at the idea of people knowing who she is. And, you know, I have two other little siblings who are, um, around her age and, both of them are also like really excited about the book. And, um, so I think it makes my sister feel, I think it makes her feel special. And also, you know, it's been really inspirational that some of the women I've taken photos of have just really gone above and beyond. I mean, even just taking time out of their schedules to let me photograph and interview them is, I mean, for that, I'm eternally grateful because none of them had to do that, you know? Um, but there's this one woman in my book, for example, she and her little daughter, uh, I, I photographed them and then they were really touched by Chloe's hair story and they went out and, and, um, bought a bunch of hair jewelry for my sister. They got like little Eiffel towers cause she's French and all that stuff. And then, um, another woman in my book painted this really beautiful portrait of my sister, really emphasizing her hair, her big Afro. And so I think it's, it's definitely making my sister feel special and seen and loved and validated. And my stepmom says that she is getting more comfortable with wearing her hair out in an Afro now, as opposed to just, you know, tied back in a ponytail. So I'm, so I'm or in a, in a puff, I guess. Awesome. Awesome. So just a quick question in your, in your interview, your podcast interview, you mentioned your little brother. And so it got me thinking, any thoughts about doing a uh, photograph book for for young for young men? Yeah, I have I have thought about that, and I think I think that's so interesting, like the politics of natural hair and how it relates to how it relates to men. And um, yeah, I mean, my so my dad, you know, our dad had he had locks, and I know that definitely 
you know, he, he was definitely stereotyped for that. You know, people would always, for example, people would always ask him if he sold weed and he's like, no, I've never smoked weed in my life, you know? Um, but because they, but because he had locks, they had the, the stereotypes associated with it. Um, and even just, you know, also black men who choose to wear their hair in bigger afros or, um, you know, to, yeah, I guess, I guess just to wear their hair in anything, but a low fade sort of, um, I guess is a statement. Um, and yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. I definitely, I think it's an interesting topic to explore. I think that for black women, I don't want to, I think it does. I think it, I think it does affect us more. And I think that it's so, it's so politicized. Um, and it just really impacts our day to day lives. Like no matter what we do to it, you know, it's not like we can just, it's not like we can just shave it off or get a low cut and it's like, okay, everything's fine. Because even that, like that in itself is a statement and that's going to make people talk, you know, like with Ayanna Presley, um, with her alopecia reveal, like that's huge news, right? So it's, so for black women, it's sort of like no, literally no matter what we do with our hair, it's, it's news, you know? So we're, so everything we do with our hair is an intentional decision that someone is going to talk about. That's going to be the, the object of questioning of stairs, you know? And so I think it's, yeah, I guess that's why I, I was focusing specifically on women, but I definitely would like to learn more about how natural hair impacts, you know, the, the black male community as well. No, I'd love, I love your, you know, the, the process that you went through, um, to develop the book. I'm, I'm a little bit biased cause I have, I have two sons <laughs> and I was like, Oh, you know, I think, um, and it's, and I agree with you. I mean, I think the, you know, I think you brought up like some great points, um, especially Aisha Presley. I saw her her video revealing um, her her journey with alopecia, and and you're very you're very I think you're you're correct. Again, I just have a bias to having sons, <laughs> and it's, I mean it's definitely it's definitely a different journey. Um, I and I agree, it, it is a different journey, um, but I think you, you know you've done such a great job. Um, with this book, if you ever want to consider, or want to consider <laughs> down the line, I think you do just as just a just as much justice to that book as well. Thank you. That that is a that is a really interesting idea. It would be cool to do a follow up to Dear Chloe. Um, so I just want to do like a quick fire round, just a just a quick few questions before um, before we wind down. So my first question for you is if you could go anywhere in the world for your next vacation, where would it be? I would go to France to visit my siblings. Awesome. And what three words best describe why you love to write? Uh, I would say discovery. I would say reclaiming. And let's see, I would say love again. I know I'm repeating that word, but no, but, you know, we could always do with a little bit more love. Mm -hmm. So what is your dream story or topic to cover next? So this would be an expensive project, but at some point in my life, I want to travel the world and document indigenous tribes from all around the world, um, from, you know, Latin America, Africa, U.S., Europe, 
Australia um, and just sort of document what, you know, what the world was like pre all this industrialization. Awesome. And the last question is, why do our stories matter? I think our stories matter because they shape, they shape history and, you know, they shape our future history. And then also for our past history, it's important to understand where we came from and what our ancestors went through, especially for marginalized groups, like within the black community. I think that learning about our ancestors gives us strength, you know, learning about everything that we went, uh, everything that they went through um, allows us to recognize that we share their genes. And so that power, that strength is within ourselves as well. Thanks for joining us this week on What is Black podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And for more information about the podcast, our blogs, and subscribe to our upcoming newsletter, go to our website at whatisblack.co. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode. And don't forget to leave us a review so we can continue to bring you fresh content. Until next time, thank you for listening.